Hello and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast, a fortnightly discussion all about success, modern business and the lives of entrepreneurs. I'm Joe Bullmore, I'll be your host for the day and I'm joined this afternoon at Mark's Club by Wilhelm Schmidt, the CEO of German watchmaker Alanga & Zerner. Though Wilhelm's background is in cars, he has, since a very young age, been obsessed with watches. He's in the right place then. Based in the famous watchmaking town of Glashütte in Germany, Alanga & Zerner is perhaps one of the most celebrated and venerated watch brands in the world. They've got a quiet, understated excellence that appeals only to those that really know their eggs. Today, the CEO tells us how a watch can possibly cost 2 million euros, why smartwatches are doomed by their very nature to fail, and why gentlemen are still so enthralled to measuring time. Wilhelm, you are the CEO of perhaps the most prestigious and decorated watch brand in the world, some would say. But you weren't always in watches. In fact, your background is in cars. How did you end up in this position? Yeah, well, I, I think it depends a bit on how you define background because um, I would say I'm a very privileged man because I had two passions in my life, you know, beside my family and my wife, which is watches and cars. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I, I started with cars and, and then moved on to watches. Um, yeah. My wife always says it's quite funny, you know, I spent all my sort of pocket money for watches whilst I was working in the car industry and now yeah. I'm spending all my money on cars while I'm working <laughs> in the watch industry. So okay. my spending behavior hasn't changed, just the direction of the money hasn't yeah. changed. So do you collect watches and cars? Have you got a huge... That's exactly yeah. the well, huge. Um, it's a bit like you said, we are the most prestigious and so on and so forth. We actually don't <laughs> see ourselves like okay. that. We're a small, exclusive little brand that does its best to attract um, yeah. and satisfy our clientele. I think we're doing that quite well, but we by far not big or mighty or, no. or, you know, there are other brands that could probably claim that much better than us. Of course. So even when you were starting out, did you want to be in watches even when you were working in cars? Was that kind of an ambition? No, I would, I would lie if I say that. Okay. I don't do that <laughs> as a proper German. Um, no, I, I actually said to my wife as I signed my contract for BMW, because that was my employer before, Alanga und Söhne. Yeah. I said to her, that's it, darling. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm finally where I always wanted to be. It's, wow. you know, it's a great company, great cars. I still drive a BMW. So um, I thought that's it, and I'm going to retire there happily. Until that, I think, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity arrived uh, that I yeah. couldn't, you know, as a German, Alanga und Söhne is not only famous for what we did, but also how we did and where we did it. So I couldn't refuse. Yeah. I had to, to move to new shelves. Um, and, and that's how I moved from the car industry into the watch industry. Yeah. And when you made that leap, was it a very big decision? I mean, did you think this is going to be an entirely new field? And, and did you think maybe you weren't? cut out for it I tell you what you know if you <clears throat> if you familiarize yourself a bit with risk management uh, there is actually a saying that if you change industry the likelihood to fail is about 50% if you change country and company it's almost 100% I did all three at the same time so I'm <laughs> glad that I'm still sitting here and running and helming the company but uh, it was high risk right um, and and in hindsight 
in hindsight, I have to say, you know, um, it was brave and I was lucky. <laughs> <laughs> what, were the, what surprised you most about the change in industries? What was the biggest difference that you saw? A handful of, let me, let me just try to explain the most. Of course. The biggest and the most important ones. The first is, you know, always work for big corporate, international corporate, um, where, you know, even if you didn't do the job, there were 10 other people that would do the job. So, you know, there is plenty of room to hide. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's a very different working behavior and environment than what we have because we operate almost like a small family company. Even we belong to Richemont. But, you know, Geneva is far away from Glashütte. It's six hours by plane because you always have to go via Frankfurt, Munich or Zurich. Yeah. Um, so you are very much your own. You run your own company, which is nice. But it also means if you don't push it, if you don't run it, there is nobody that will do it for you. Yeah. So, you know, it both, you know, it's like Forrest Gump. Life is like a box of chocolates. Box are like, uh, jobs are like a box of chocolates okay. as well. You know, some you like, some, you know, but you have to, to take it all. Yeah. So that, I think, was the single biggest difference. Um, and often asked question is, you know, what is the similarity? I think the only simil similar ground or common ground is um, clients. I think really? there are plenty of people like me on the, on, on the globe that love watches yeah. and cars or cars and watches. Um, and of course, as customer centric companies, car companies are customer centric. We yeah. are customer centric. So at least the customer is, is an, a little animal that I, you know, to some extent understand. Okay. Um, other than that, you know, these two industries have absolutely nothing, nothing in common. Is there not some similarities between the watches themselves and the cars as objects, as in there's craftsmanship in the engine manifold and craftsmanship in the movement of a watch? It used to be, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you go into the vintage car area, I would 100% agree, you know, they were handcrafted cars, specifically England is great mm. in that. I mean, there are some little producer here that today only are, you know, for the spirited connoisseurs, the really, you know, in yeah. a quiet taste rather than driving a Porsche, BMW or a Mercedes. Um, but, but, you know, today cars are consumables. We, we are not in, in, in the fast moving consumer good industry. Um, I know that the car industry say they're also not there, but let's be honest, I think that's what they are. You yeah. know, there's a high turnover. Um, I can remember as I started in the car industry, BMW said one big launch a year. That is what we'd like to manage. As I quit, we had about five, six major launches mm -hmm. every year. And I think ever since then, it has even accelerated. So today, you know, even... I, as a petrol hat, I lose track mm. on modern cars because I don't know, is that now a new car? Is it a three? Is it a four? Is it a anything? So, you know, it just tells you that's a consumable. Yeah. We definitely don't build consumables. Let's go back to the very beginning, your, the start of your career. Yeah. How did you get started in the world of business, the world of entrepreneurship, perhaps? Look, I'm, I'm, my, my dad's, my parents are car dealers, Ford right. car dealers. Um, and um, I started my professional, you know, I, I'm a car mechanic by professional. Okay. I have a degree in um, a Master of Business Administration and all that. But I started really in the oil industry. Right. Um, so for 13 years uh, and some time of that actually in Swindon in England. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was the headquarter of uh, 
the Burma oil, okay. um, which were then taken over by BP. Right. They had a very, very good summer in, in the UK in 1990. Never forget that. Okay. Um, but I was, as I said, I was, I, I went through the rings um, and, you know, I probably missed that point where you have to decide, you know, do I go for my own business or, you know, do I stay in the career? Yeah. Because eventually the ticket price becomes too high to move on. Yeah. Um, and I probably missed that point, regrettably. That's why I was so glad as that opportunity arose, because I believe that's the closest you can get running your own company without being, yeah. you know, an entrepreneur. Right. So you, you speak about being an engineer and a mechanic. Yes. Uh, have you always been very hands-on? Are you hands-on in the, in the watchmaking as well, in the factories? I do understand it. Um, you, you, no, I uh, yeah, first three as I arrived, you know, to to get to know my people and to fully understand yeah. what 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 were you doing. What I did is, um, I moved in with uh, the morning shift um, and stayed then three, four, five hours before I moved on to my office job, and and I walked along the way uh, what is being produced, yeah. and you know, trying to understand uh, w w what they were doing which also helps you to appreciate what, what, what they are doing. Sure. Um, and, you know, theoretically and from a technical background, I understand that because the, the physics is the same, whether it works on engines or on movements. Yeah. You know, I understand the fundamentals, but every single time I tried to replicate what they were doing, believe you me, that was a disaster. I felt miserable. Right. Um, but Why it, is that? Is that just pure dexterity? Is it just the fiddliness, or is it just a kind of knowledge of how everything put, gets put together? Look, it's it's like you you see you see Roger Federer playing tennis, yeah. uh, and it looks also easy until you try to do that that smash, yeah, yeah. Uh, hit or serve. Um, that's the same in watchmaking. You know, I mean, they say it takes ten thousand times of replication to really understand the move properly. Um, and, and that goes for fine watchmaking as right. well. You know, what they do with, you know, the one eye open, the other eye looking through the magnifying glasses, the hand-eye coordination um, on, 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 on really tiny little property, on really tiny little real estate. Um, it, you know, for me, it's a miracle. I'll never forget my first polishing lesson. Right. Because I thought, you know, they, they can, tell you a lot but it doesn't look that difficult so I had to polish a golden chaton okay I polished it two minutes later I went back I said it's not that difficult it's done so she looked at it and said nine to me and I said what do you mean by nine there's nine scratches on you need to understand that's a it's a f it's it's what two millimeters wow. uh, diameter so that's a tiny nine she taught me how to examine whether with the her bare eyes Wow. With, you know, with with with, oh, with the, the, and with reflection of light. Okay. After three quarters of an hour, and that thing was definitely completely out of any dimensions, could have not been used for anything. I thought on there. She said, "It's fine. It's just a little shadow here. If you get that away, it's perfect." So I tried to get the shadow away. I gave it back to her, and she said, two. Oh, so no. I again managed to get two scratches on it, and that's where I said, you know, just what, by um, holding it in your hand, well, while you're polishing. polishing, trying to polish the, oh, the, 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 the shadow away. Um, now it is, you know, it's, so you put it's your hands uh, enough is enough. I don't <laughs> think I, I can push that any further. There was nothing left of the yeah. shot. But as you start, you know, it's 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 hard work. Um, it's lots of experience. It's lots of dedication. It's patience and passion. Sure. Um, and. Um, 
specifically on the patients but I think I would pass out okay not for me so uh, patience isn't one of your well not really no so I'm, I'm very interested in the entire process from from the first idea for a new watch to, to putting it out to the market yeah. how long that takes and how many different people are involved and how many different yeah. stages it goes through how does it start and when do you decide we need new watch we have sort of a product development pipeline so we know exactly what we will have highly complicated in let's say 2022 and 2023 because we know that we have to start today if we want to have that in 2022 or 2023 Um, some other parts go quicker Um, you know um, a change of a color of a dial that's about six to nine months change of a metal in in a case that's about six to nine months Um, a more simple movement with maybe a little adaption that's about 24 months yeah, a highly complicated thing that can take up to seven years. Um, so that's why you need to have a clear idea of where you want to be in, let's say, five, six years. Yeah. And it's a rolling process um, to avoid that, you know, you start too late to have then what you yeah. want at that SIH age or for whatever reason you need it. So on the first day of your job, you walk into the office and you never worked in watches before. How did you decide to set out that timeline and that roadmap? What was your first action? What What was your first thing you did? Look, we had already worked on that. Okay. Um, it's not that I had to restart. I didn't take over a sort of a company that was uh, um, in, in bits and pieces. Yeah. I was actually a proper operated, proper running company that had a little issue 0809, as most companies had. Uh, but we survived nicely and yeah. we came back strongly. Um so what we did is we, we, we brought more customer focus onto our product development, uh, more external view. And it basically, it's, it's at the moment, it's three people. It's Tony De Haas, it's Tina Boba and me. One is the product developer, the other is the production guy and me. Um, and I represent more the marketing and sales part, yeah. more the customer, because I bought our Langon Zöhne watches as I worked in the car industry. So I, I, I can actually say, look, yeah. I know at least a bit how customers think about it. And of course, I probably have most interaction with them. Um, so, and again, you know, we'll have a rough idea of what we want to have in five years. Uh, we have a very good idea of, well, we have 100% of an idea of what was going to happen in January 2018, because that's all, done and dusted Um, the year as well is maybe 90% done and dusted Um, and then you know we'll look at trends we look at um, how the market is developing and then we'll see how can we find a translation of that desire that still fits our brand yeah because we don't do everything we don't follow trends but we observe trends and if there are in alignment with our brand then we would actually see what we can do with it yeah um, what kind of trends are you talking about well it's colors uh for example you know at the moment blue is very fashionable as um, the face or as the strap no as a dial the dial as a dial um diameters we are not so much into it but of course you have to observe it because um even if you don't follow it, you have to understand, of course, that the market fundamentals. Um, 
and you know there were days where the bigger the better at the moment i would say there is still a good segment that you know wants big watches mm. um, but the more traditional element let's say 38 to 41 millimeter in diameter that's probably the sweet spot in the market okay. right now yeah and, and and that is you know you have to see a whole collection do i have enough alternatives within that sweet spot Okay. If you have only two small and two big watches, you miss the major sure. part of the market. Um, and and then you also need to understand, will that remain? Will it go bigger? Will it go smaller? Yeah. Um, not that we follow it automatically, but just to understand the mechanic, the market mechanics. And I've heard you speak about the brand's DNA before. Yeah. Do you think you can sum that up in three words? That's always a difficult challenge, but if you had to. I, I could actually. Oh. The, the German heritage... Uh, you know the the craftsmanship um, and the performance or innovation part of us. Okay. Yeah. And what does the German heritage specifically bring to it, as opposed to, of course, the Swiss watchmaker, which is well, you know, if if you look at the watch, um, I always call it the two soles of our watches. You know, the front for everybody, which is usually quite understated. Mm. Um, you know, it, it doesn't give away what it really is, you know, to an extent that some of our watches, like the Lange One Tourbillon Perpetual Calendar, looks like a very, very nice watch, but nobody would think it's about 300,000 euro watch. Um, and then if you turn it around, it's the opposite. It's opulent, yeah. it's decorated, it's into details. It's almost like a little city, like a, a miracle world that is then unveiled to the owner. And I believe that's a very German thing, you know. Hide your 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 wealth. Don't over. Don't shine too much. Yeah. Um, also, you know, on on, on on the watch I'm wearing, which is a Datograph Capitral uh, Tourbillon, um, we don't show the Tourbillon. Okay. For a very simple reason, because if we had to show it, the watch wouldn't be readable, legible, uh, legible anymore. Right. So. That's why we don't do it. So for us, it's very important that there is, you know, it's a timepiece. If you can't read the, the yeah. time anymore, what's the whole purpose? Absolutely. So that's very German because Germans like functionality and yeah. functionality, and, and that's that's that I think is the Germanness in in the watch. Okay, and it's interesting you mention functionality like that because watches are a utilitarian object they've got a purpose a single purpose yes to sell the time yet they are so much more and they they kind of attract prices you mentioned 300,000 euros yes. some of your watches uh, stretch to more, 2 yes. million euros yes. uh, there's no other functional item I can think of perhaps that we spend so much money on we don't buy $20,000 toasters or anything like that so why do you think people are so enthralled to watches and willing to pay uh, two house worth of money for one I, you know, if you if you follow the development of time, yeah, that of course goes hand in hand, or the necessity to measure time accurately, that goes hand in hand with the development of watches. Um, it all should have accumulated in the seventies, because until the seventies, the more precise a watch was, mm. the more expensive it was. So there was a clear correlation between precision and, and price sure and then came the quartz watch and very suddenly the main purpose
purpose of a mechanical watch to be more precise than anything else. Out it's gone. Food, toast. Because quartz, you could quartz as much. Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, if you for free almost frequency is in the millions. Uh, versus the best thing you can do mechanical is what four hertz, thirty-two thousand eight hundred. So you know, that's that's all. It's an unfair competition. Um, uh, uh, for a while, it looked like the mechanical watch is going to die, and then yeah. it did that. For me, astonishing move from becoming a piece of art. Yeah. Today, it's more a piece of art than anything else. It represents your personality. I think that's what many people use yeah. it for. It's part of your dress code. It's part of how you feel. It's part of what you want to express. It's part of to which peer group or club do I think I belong. Um, and and you know by shifting away from the pure functionality into a piece of art, yeah. you escape all the trends that okay. go hand in hand, maybe with a toaster, with a car, or with a TV set. Yeah. Alang Unserne is a Richemont. Well I nailed it. <laughs> nailed the pronunciation. Is a is a Richemont company. It falls yes. under that big conglomerate yes. umbrella. Uh, does that help you? Do you think, or does it hinder you at all? Is it? No. How does it affect you? Look, it it it, it does help a lot. Um, let's be honest. Logistics, um, IT infrastructure, IT security, um, legal advice, be it on copyright infringements or suing uh, or customers, God knows what. You know, all these are things that, that a bigger group can much. Yeah can organize much more efficient and better than we could do as even a very successful small business. Yeah. Um, so that part, I believe, is so much sophisticated to okay. what we could afford that I see in total only benefits in being part of a bigger group. But it doesn't make decision-making slow or you don't have to run it through the, the, the bigger corporation? Um, I think, you know, the only way to polish a diamond is to take another diamond um, and people misunderstand the importance of having to govern your company strategically right. and I believe it's a great value to have people that look from the outside into what you are doing yeah. because they can give you important hints of where you may get it wrong because you look at it in isolation yeah. um, so what some people misunderstand as long-lasting decision-making process, I believe it's a fundamental experience, a fundamental step to go market, and I'd rather have that discussion before I go to market than having it in the market. Yeah, and to ask you about the, the other end of the market, the, the end of watchmaking that isn't a threat at all to, to your company, there, there seems to be an explosion in kind of inexpensive small startup boutique Watchmakers, a lot of them Scandinavian, or at least Scandinavian inspired. Yeah. What do you think about this, and and do you think that represents how young people now want to spend their money on watches? Look, I think it's it's absolutely great. Um, <clears throat> my first watch wasn't expensive. What was, it was? Do you expensive. remember what your first watch was? Um, I will not expose that. Um, but it, I mean, but it wasn't at the level of Alain Gonzana. No, no, I mean, I was seventeen. For okay. God's sake, I don't have the money for it. So, what, I mean, was it a plastic little swatch? No, it was actually a beautiful watch with, so far I can say, <laughs> Lemania caliber, a chronograph, and a full calendarium on top of it. Right, it was a beautiful watch. Yeah. It did cost eighteen hundred German marks. I still have the invoice, and it was a hell of a money for me. Uh, believe you me. 
Um, so that was a uh, that was sort of an investment, okay. Because I've invested a large amount of my money into that one. Yeah, and that's how I started. Um, so you know, if if all these small watchmaker create the same sort of enthusiasm with young people uh, for fine watchmaking, I I of what course. can I say? I think it's great. Yeah, because it's preparing the fruit the future ground for us. You know, Absolutely. that makes it fertile and not just. I think it's a great development. It just tells us that the watch industry is not at the end. Um, it is just changing. Yeah. And there's, there's another corner of that end of the market, isn't there? Smart watches yes. produced by these huge tech conglomerates. Yes. Um, they're not particularly very good looking, but that you, we do see some now that are being made that are in conjunction with old watchmakers that are kind of incorporating smart tech with the traditional feel and look of, of a fine watch. Yeah. What, what do you think about this kind of hybrid and... Look, I'm very clear on that. It's very difficult to become a bit pregnant. What do you mean by that? That's true, but I'm not entirely sure what you mean. Well, you're either pregnant or you're not. Okay. Um, so you either build a consumable or you build a watch. Okay. For me, all the I, well, the smart watches are consumables because we know that technique and all that will last, what, a year maximum. And then the next wave will come and you will throw that away. Okay. That's a different part of the market. It's not even the watchmaking. That's a consumer. It's an electronic gadget market. Yeah. Um, you can make it nicer, and I think there are some nice ones on the market. But if you boil it down to the essence, it's not a watch. It's still telling the time on someone's wrist, though. Well, that's my telephone as well. My cell phone is also giving me the time. Yeah. Uh, so it's just an extension thing. of your I think, computer. I think it's a, a computer. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an electronic gadget. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's it's not a... For me, the first purpose, mm. it's not a piece of art. It is a consumable. Yeah. And that's a big difference. Of course. A consumable which we know in 10 years, nobody will even be able to repair. No. You know, it's not made to last. All our watches, even I think 80% of all pocket watches that we ever produce, they're still around. Some and when were they made in the... Well, from 1845 right. to, 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 to 1948. And if someone came in with an old pocket watch from 1845, would your watchmakers be able to yeah, fix it? Yeah, of course. It? We have our own department doing that. Wow. So, you know, that... So you're uh, in for the long game. Uh, that, I think, is the most fundamental yeah. difference. None of these watches will be functioning in 10 years' time. None. No. Because even the language that have been used to program them may be obsolete by then. There's no technician that can serve it for you. It's yeah. all throwaway stuff eventually. Absolutely. And I believe that's the fundamental difference. So I'm, you know, by nature more onto, if you call it the Scandinavian boutique independent watchmaker. Yeah. I think they have a better chance to prepare future ground for fine watchmaking. Then um, I'm now wearing that nice little watch, smart device. Yeah knowing that I will throw it away of course or replace it by a new one yeah. in what a couple of months latest two years yeah and when you're starting out as a as an entrepreneur in business or even as the CEO of a business do you think who you know is more important than what you know you know I never like this either or question because they're usually <laughs> wrong yeah absolutely um, if you don't have a network 
you can't do the job as a CEO. Yeah. Um, why? Because you need a network within the company. Because you can read so much by making the numbers talk. Yeah. Um, but there's a flip side to this coin, and you only will experience that flip side if you have your inner network. That'll give you information that will help you to understand numbers. So without that network, you can't do your job. Yeah. You also have external people that are important because they will give you advice. They will give you the outside of you. They will spend time with you. Um, and there are customers. Of course. So how can you say, you know, that's not important? Um, but then, you know, if again, you don't have something attractive. Yeah. Uh, it is also not, yeah. you know, that's why There's I struggle a bit with so saying this or that. Of course. I think both is important. Both are important. Yeah. So I now want to ask you some questions, some sort of quick fire questions yes. to finish things off, because we know quite a lot about Wilhelm Schmidt, the businessman. Yes. But maybe not about you as a man. Yes. So, I mean, I'd like you to be as honest and quick as possible, please, Good. if you could. But who in the world of business do you most admire? Nobody. Nobody. No. There's no. You don't have a. I don't an have idol. A hero. I never had. A, you know. I never followed a band. I never had a. Really. He, no. You no. don't. I even don't have a famous actor or things like that. You know. No. I'm not. You're not interested in. Big idol for me is 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 is, is my dad and my mum. Of course. Because, you know they. They're now 55 years together, yeah. married. Wow. Um, you know that for me is that that these are idols. Um, I don't have any sort of people that I even don't know properly and they are idols now. Wow. What do you think you'd be doing if you weren't CEO of Alain Gonsana? Travelling with my wife. Around the world? Yes. And professionally, if you weren't in watches? In cars. In cars. Back into the cars. Definitely. What singular possession are you most proud of? This might be an easier one for you. A physical possession. My ACA's Bristol. That's a car? Yes. Okay. I was expecting you to say one of your watches. I know that you would expect. That's why I didn't say it. <laughs> okay, good. What's so special about this car? Is it sentimentally important to you? Got it. Got it from from Yvonne before my fiftieth birthday. Okay. So yeah, that's an easy one. It is an easy yeah. one, isn't it? But a fun one. Oh yeah, it's a great car. <laughs> so, do you have a personal motto that you carry with you through life and through business? Yeah, never regret. And where's that come from? I think because I learned that whenever I regret it, I miss the point of the mistake because the mistake really makes you moving forward. So it's every problem's actually a lesson to be it learned. It is actually, and specifically those that failed. Did you ever learn from something you did well? I'm not sure. It's I'm hard sure. to tell. Probably not as much as I learned from something that went badly. I only change after a mistake. I yeah. never change before a mistake, funny yeah. enough. It's stupid. No, it's very true. It's absolutely human. And what's your idea of perfect happiness? That's very easy. Okay. Well, three. Do I have three? You, you can do three. Why not? A glass of wine around it, surrounded by my family on, on the deck of my house in Africa. Okay. With friends, sun shining. I hear it wonderful. You know, that's moment of tranquility. Yeah. Every morning I use the old cars to get to Glashütte on a good sunny shunt. Perfect. These half an hour I just... The classic cars. Yeah, vintage yeah. cars. So that's just beautiful. Um, and I also have that moment when I hit for a change the ball very well in my golf. 
<laughs> okay. Wow. Well, it sounds like a very, very enjoyable life. It you is, have. actually. Yeah. yeah. I'm not complaining. Not complaining. Wilhelm Schmidt, thank you very much for speaking to us. Thank you. Thank you very, very much for listening to this episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight with more invaluable insights from the world of entrepreneurs. But until then, you can find us on our website, which is www.thegentlemansjournal.com. Or if you're so inclined, follow us on Instagram at The Gents Journal or indeed on Twitter at The Gents Journal. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you very, very soon.